Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we jump into conversation with our guests today, we want to thank the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary for sponsoring this episode. New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and Level College desire for women to be theologically grounded servants of Jesus who abide in the Word. Their heart is to help women answer God's call to ministry leadership. If that sounds like you, then today visit prepareher.com. Thank you so much, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Welcome, everyone, today to the podcast. Courtney and I are really excited about today's guest. Her name is Ashley Marvatori Gorman. She serves as an associate publisher at B&H Publishing Group, which is an imprint of Lifeway Christian Resources. She holds an MDiv from Southeastern Theological Seminary, whoop, whoop, and has been trained under the Charles Simeon Trust. Her passions are biblical literacy, women's discipleship, foster care, theology, books, the local church, and teaching the Bible. Ashley and her husband, Cole, live in Nashville, Tennessee with their daughter, Charlie. She is too cute. You can find her writing in various Lifeway Women Bible Studies, books like World on Fire, and on digital venues like the Gospel Coalition, Lifeway Voices, ERLC, Relevant Lifeway Women, and Christ and Culture. Wow, Ashley, we're so glad to have you. It's good to see you guys. So glad you're here, Ashley. All right, we want to get to know you more. We want our listeners to know you more. So we're going to shoot out these rapid fire questions and you just give us the first thing that pops in your head. Okay. All right, Ashley, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, man, like a singer. Really? Like Broadway or pop radio. Yeah, like one of those two, for sure. I thought I was just going to go to California and sing some songs. We had one other person who said they wanted to be a singer. I like it. Uh-huh. I like. <laughs> yeah, I used to write songs all the time in my room and like sing them on this fake uh, microphone. It was great. It's like Taylor Swift. She did the same thing. Same thing. I did the same thing, but I, the Lord, the Lord cl- made clear my calling. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what was your first job? Um, a hostess in a restaurant. Stop it. Every, I can't, how many, Missy? How many? I mean, I can't even tell you. Yes. Three or four. Three or four at least. I mean, I did like some babysitting in my, you know, like. Yes, but it must be. back when like you could babysit when you were 13. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Nowadays, 15-year-old babysitter going indeed. Ashley, what kind of restaurant was it? Oh, what restaurant was it? Uh, I think it was a Hops Hops. restaurant. Okay. Uh, They had like a, yeah. Anyway, yeah, they it was lot people came in for this like pineapple flavored steak thing. Interesting. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. I just sat people okay. down. It was great. <laughs> that must be the formula for greatness. Well, Guys, yeah. get your kids, your daughters to be waitresses. I mean, um what do you call that? Hostesses. Hostesses, yes. Right. Yes. Okay. So Ashley, think ahead to when you're eighty. Mm. What kind of work do you want to be doing in those days? 
Oh, man. Um, anything really that serves the church or helps with um, people knowing the Bible, with biblical liter- literacy, um, or really just helps, like, j- also helps younger generations in the family as they struggle with life. Like, I'm in that season now. Yeah. And so I can't tell you how grateful I am for older generations that pour into us in such a busy time of our life. Like, it's been a huge ministry to us this season. So I want to do some some type of form of, like, helping the younger generation in some way. Um, so yeah, anything that has to do with teaching the Bible and like helping the younger generation. I love that. I loved it. Yes. I love it. I love it. We did have someone who said they wanted to be the person who tested out, um, beach chairs. (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. That is a great idea. I was like, wow, (laughs) I could pay to do that. (laughs) I'll pay for that. It'd be great. I'd like to be a missionary in Hawaii. (laughs) That's right. Well, Ashley, tell us briefly about you and your Italian roots. Where did you grow up? And then also share with us, how did you come to faith? Oh, okay. Uh, Italian roots. Yeah. So my my middle name is, uh, well, my maiden name was Marvatori. um, And now it's Gorman. So you might not know that I'm Italian, but my my middle name is uh, now Marvatori. I made it my middle name. And you would in, uh, I think earlier you guys, we were just talking about this, um, in English or like American context, you would say yes. story. And then in Italian context, you would say Marvettori. Marvettori. Um, we yeah. should all practice that together. Marvettori. If you're listening to this That's podcast right. on an elliptical mm-hmm. machine right now, just out loud say <laughs> Marvettori. And you have to do your little okay. fingers like that. Missy. You have to do your fingers just like that. That's right. <laughs> Um, yeah, so my dad's side of the family is Italian. They're actually from, a, so this is the cool, like my cool party trick. It's the only thing I have really. Uh, they're, they're actually from a town called Narnia. Narnia. Stop wow. it. I know. That's like where my family's from. So if the people are Stop. like, where do you get from? I'm like, I come from Narnia. <laughs> oh my goodness. I okay. Know. So your my dad husband. actually grew up in Narnia in Italy. Okay, so he didn't. Uh, okay, who? This is like a generation or two before him, okay. but when uh-huh. they came to America, but um, it's actually, so on American maps, or if you like looked it up in Google maps right now, it would say Narnia. They would chop the A off. But in Latin maps and in some Italian maps, it will say Narnia. That's like the full, uh, the full spelling of it, I guess. But um, wow. this is the place where, like, where C.S. Lewis like put his finger on a map and was like, "What? Where Are you kidding me?" Yeah, and so, uh, and I think he was working with a Latin map, which is why Nar- it says Narnia. Um, oh my wow. gosh! But yeah, that's right. Wow. That's, my, that's, that's an amazing my party, party trick. trick. <laughs> I am a Narnian. I'm Narnian. That's right. It's really cool. Well, and it's so nice because you work in publishing too. So it, it I mean, mm-hmm. just the whole thing goes. That's together. right. I'm like, this is perfect. This is the. This is a great story. Yeah. So, in terms of how I came to faith, I grew up in um, in South Carolina. In okay. Columbia, really, it's a small town called Irmo, which like nobody's heard about, but it was a great, sweet little upbringing. Um, I grew up in a church that was great at investing in the younger generation. We were really strong doctrinally, I'd say. Um, so I learned a ton about God early on, but my life was sort of disconnected from all the spiritual stuff I was learning. Um, so I could tell you, like, the chief end of man was to glorify God, and I could tell you, like, I could, mm-hmm. I could probably like br- draw the bridge diagram for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I chose Christ for myself. Uh, at age 18 through a college ministry. Um, and the way I like to say it, there was a pastor once that made this um, really great word picture of what happens. He's like growing a child up in the faith and like having a church that teaches him uh, a lot of theological information. It's sort of like building little um, fires in their heart, you know, putting all the wood, gathering the wood together and all these little piles in their heart. And then when your heart is like regenerated, when the spirit comes (laughs) 
it's like he lights all those little um those little those little gathered wood bundles uh in on fire right and so i just feel like all of these little bundles that were in my heart that had been stored up through just like gathering knowledge uh were just kind of all lit on fire at the same time and so moving into christianity and like really living it was not that hard for me because i had all I, I it wasn't a huge step to understand all these big ideas that came with christianity um and so yeah that's sort of my story so that happened at 18 well, that's a beautiful analogy i love that Kind of reminds me of uh, Jeremiah, wasn't it? The mm-hmm. fire in his belly. Oh, he had to yes. speak it. Bones. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. So, what led you to become interested in the publishing world? Tell us actually what you do as an associate publisher. That's right. So, um, I work at B and H Publishing, and that's like the trade book arm of Lifeway Christian Resources. So, um, Lifeway does a lot of things. It does curriculum. It does events. Um, it does all sorts of stuff, but I, I work in the book space. So just books, not curriculum, just books. Like when you walk into a Barnes and Noble and you look at most of the books, those are trade books. So, um, I, we're the trade book publishing arm of Lifeway and, um, I acquire authors and then develop their manuscripts, help them develop their message. And then, uh, and then we push it out into the world, which is great. Uh, and so that's what I do at BNH. in terms of what led me to become interested. So, Honestly, I didn't really know a lot about the publishing world growing up. I didn't, as I said before, I wanted to be a pop singer. (laughs) Um, So I wasn't waking up in the morning being like, I really want to be in publishing. You know, I just loved language classes, loved writing. I've always loved writing. It's one of those things you don't really realize you have a knack for until somebody points it out. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I came to faith, uh, a lot of my book journey started when I became Christian. I just fell in love with books. Um, I started writing my own studies when I came to faith. So I like, came to faith and I was in this ministry that valued uh, evangelism and discipleship. And so, um, I, I literally just thought like, oh, you become Christian and then you lead other people through the Bible too. Like, and so I guess you just read a book and then like create a study. <laughs> and so I didn't know, wow. I didn't know you could buy studies like wow. <laughs> that somebody else had already done. I didn't know that. I just thought like wow. you go through the Bible and you just talk through it. And so I would read like books of the Bible and just like create studies. And we had some studies in our ministry that helped too. But most of the time I would like look at that and then just kind of like read the book and rework it. So I remember like reading the gospel of, of Mark and just like creating a Bible study and like leading this group of uh, college girls through it. Um, so yeah, I, that was part of my journey. Like I didn't, I just wrote stuff. Like I didn't know that you, uh, that everybody didn't do that. So, um, and then I I went to seminary. I wrote a lot, obviously for your coursework, you do a lot of writing. Um, and then in my church involvement, I wrote, uh, women's studies. I wrote digital content, discipleship material, Eventually, I got a job with that uh, with a company that developed curriculum for churches, and I not only um, wrote those myself, but I also kind of helped some other writers uh, that were also doing the same thing make their work better, which was sort of the start of my editorial career. Um, and then some, there was a common connection I had at the seminary at Southeastern. Um, that knew my boss at the time, and so she sat me down. She was like, "Hey, I know a guy at Lifeway, like looking for somebody that." would be interested in uh, publishing and editing, acquiring books. Like, I think you'd be a good fit. Um, and she thought I would be. So anyway, with my theological background, my editorial experience, she was like, I think you might be a good fit. So I sent my resume in and the rest is history, as I say. So that's how I kind of, that's my journey in the publishing world. Okay. So this job is like, once you graduated from seminary, your friend or someone recommended you, oh, you might fit. So has this been your main job since like, um, graduating from seminary? 
since graduating, yes, because I graduated in the midst of this job. So I wasn't all the way done with seminary when I took this job. I was close to done. Um, and so, yeah, def- it's definitely been the job after seminary. Okay. Okay. Um, so are there certain factors, you know, women all the time are thinking about maybe just like your, your story, you know, they see gifts in someone, they see these gifts and they think, um, wow, you'd be great at this. Or maybe you're at, people, women are out looking for jobs and they wonder, oh, I wonder if I could do that. Mm-hmm. Are there certain factors you think women should be considering as they think about deciding, oh, should I or should I not take these jobs? You know, um, what about you when you thought, okay, B&H is a good fit for me? You know, were there certain things you thought, this is why I'm saying yes? Sure. Yeah. I, I thought about this in terms of like questions um, that would help you consider a, a potential job. And so I, I just have a few that I've like thought through that I might share. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, is everybody in my life like on board with this? And that doesn't mean like everybody that you know, it's not like you take a Facebook poll, right. you know, right. <laughs> but I just mean like anybody that is like a, a meaningful, like, person in your life that it's going to affect in a major way Sure. on board at this in terms of like, is this going to, does this mean like automatically saying yes means like my roommate is now no longer has somebody to live with and pay half the rent for a year. You know what I mean? Like right. that should go into timing or if you're married and you have kids, like, is this something we can all be on board with? Um, does this use my gifts in some way? Uh, not every job is going to use everything you're good at. Um, and it doesn't mean that like any job you have isn't going to include stuff you don't want to do. Every job's going to come with that stuff. Um, but it should like line up with your strengths to some degree, right? Um, and not every single job you get is going to be like 100%. All you do is use your gifts, but it should like s- somewhat of your strengths should be in that job. Um, is this something that could help develop the parts of my character that God might want to develop in this season of my journey? Um, and so sometimes I think people forget to ask that question, like, this might be a tool by which God is using to, to develop. I've had jobs like that. Like we didn't really get into it a second ago, but I had all sorts of jobs that I thought were totally unrelated to the work that I do that ended up being a major way God was developing me for this job in particular. And I imagine for all sorts of stuff that I'll end up doing in, you know, decades to come. Um, and so, yeah, is it, is, could it be that this particular job could help develop parts of my character that God might want to develop right now? Um, does it pay me sufficiently? Uh, what's like the travel requirement? How long am I going to be here or away? What is my trusted counsel saying about it? Um, does it require me to do anything overtly unethical? Um, is there any situation in which I'm going to be asked to do something that's like definitely opposed to God's word? Obviously, there's going to be things you don't want to do. <laughs> that's not what I mean. <laughs> I mean, unethical to do. Um, am I alone in this job or am I on a team? Because that yeah. might um, affect kind of how you're, if you're an introvert or an extrovert, you need to know what you're signing up for. It doesn't mean you don't take the job, but you just need to know ahead of time. Am I going to be primarily alone? Am I going to be primarily on a team? Um, what's the company culture like? It's a good question to ask and considering. Uh, what's like the vibe that I get from my boss? Like if this person is who I'm interacting with all the time, like what's that chemistry like? Um, and can I work for that person for years on end? Mm, yeah. Um, in what ways does this company view the family unit? If you're, if you're married, if you have kids, uh, that's important to know from the company, like, is it family friendly at all? 
Um, are you going to get punished every time your kid's sick? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. What stage of life is, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and then what stage of or you're life? sick. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last one I had is what stage of life is best for this sort of job? Um, and true. so I had to, I had to just, you know, those are just some things that came up That's when really I thought good. about the job I have now. Um, it doesn't mean like every single one of the answers of those questions is going to answer, is going to hit perfectly. But I think like as a whole, it's good to ask those sorts of questions. That is so, I mean, it's just a helpful list. It's really being practical. It's almost like, let's just be adults here. Let's mm-hmm. adult through this process and say, just because someone, just because there's a job available doesn't mean I'm the right person or this is the right time. Right. Or just because this isn't my dream job doesn't mean I can't take it and That's right. make it be That's great. Right. That's the character development piece. It's like, I'm, right. I look at parts of my story and I'm like, I worked... My husband is a full-blown creative guy, you know, uh, and he, for 10 years, he owned a photography studio and I helped, I was a second shooter for him for two years to get mm-hmm. that, um, business off the ground. And, um, I just remember in those two years being like, I definitely want to do this. I'm excited for it. I want to like support him. Like I wasn't in no way was I like begrudging toward him. I was actually really excited for God to build something in him that he had long wanted. But I Mm -hmm. also had this wrestling match with the Lord and, you know, behind the scenes where I was like, okay, Lord, like, is this, I don't think I'm like built to be a photographer. I think I can do it. I have creative bones in my body and so I can figure it out, but I don't think this is like what I want to do long-term. And so, um, it was interesting because that happened. And then I worked in a salon for four years. Wow. Yeah. And I don't do hair. Like, I don't know how to do hair. I, this was a salon big enough to hire like a social media person. So I was just doing like content development for their social media sites. I helped them with some photography if they needed it for like events and stuff. It was a really big salon. So they had like enough space for a person like that. Right. And that was four years. And part of, part of that time with seminary, I was like, I just was being, I was like, Lord, what are these jobs? Like, What am I doing? And it's wild, you guys. In the interview I have with my current boss now, who I love, um, he wanted to talk about those two things more than anything else. Really? Which is so weird. I was like downplaying that part of my <laughs> I yeah. was like, look, I developed curriculum for churches. <laughs> look, I know how to be an editor. Like, look, I work with writers. Look, I have a theological degree. Like, let's talk about right. all the stuff that like naturally makes me a fit for this job. And he was like, Yeah, yeah, I see all that. That's great. What I really want to know is what you learned when you were a wedding photographer. And I was like, right. what? And so I look wow. back and this is the wildest part. He, to get himself through seminary years and years and years before this, had been a wedding photographer. Wow. And he was like, oh, if you can manage like like a bride on her wedding day, because this <laughs> is a big deal to her. Like you can manage an author where like the book is a really big deal to them. Like wow. this is their baby that they yeah. are pushing out into the world. And so you have to care yeah. for their baby. Well, you know what I mean? Like this matters a lot to them, to them and it should like every word right. that they write matters. And so the fact that you can handle well, somebody in a really intense situation and something they really care about is like one of those soft skills. You can't just teach somebody. So the fact that you've done this, and that you just did everyday ministry in the shadows in a salon with a lot of women with a lot of worldviews oh around you tells me that like you're the kind of person that can handle the kind of work. So anyway, all that to say, that's really cool. Um, you made such a good point, Missy, because it's like you might take a job that you just feels like that just doesn't feel like it's the perfect fit. Right. Like God really might be developing something in you that you that's just so cannot good. see how He's going to use it. Ashley, that is so good. Okay, so well. 
Well, we tend to hear the word vocation and automatically think of a title or a job or a position. Mm-hmm. But how can women expand their understanding of what vocation actually is and begin to see all work as meaningful to the kingdom of God? Oh, y'all. I love, this is like, I love this topic. Like, don't get me started. Oh man. Well, you did. You just got me started. So I'm just going to get started. I like it. Good, good, good. I talked about this a little bit at uh, the Southeastern's Cultivate Conference they just had. And I saw you guys there. That's right. And they asked me to speak about, uh, you know, a topic related to work. And so that, um, you know, I just was so happy to do that. And um, so this kind of piggybacks on a lot of what I said there. I this is what I love. I think sometimes we look at work as like what you get paid to do. This is the thing that gives you the paycheck in your, you know, when you log into Wells Fargo, work is that, that line that paid you this month. And it's yeah. like, that's what work is and everything else isn't, you know, and, um, that's not actually true. So I think a lot of times we start in the Genesis narrative where Adam's told to like work and to keep. And that's where we start. We're like vocation calling. There it is. And I'm like, yes, he was called to work and and to keep. And there is something about humanity's call to cultivate. Like that's so true and deep and profound and important. Mm -hmm. Keep that, Mm -hmm. but back up. So like that Mm -hmm. happened, that happened before. There was something that happened before that happened. That's not like Genesis 1-1, right? Genesis 1-1 is where we see like the world in which this man was planted, right? We see the world in which the, the, the setting, the cosmos that he's a part of, right. And the God that created it. And so like, let's look at that for a second before we can understand like man's work. So what do we see? This is what I love. So it it really does expand your view of work. What is God, the worker up to in Genesis one, like Mm -hmm. God's working. It says he rested from his work. Like he was working. Mm -hmm. And how does God work? Like what is God up to when he works? And this is what I love because you see in Genesis one, he's up to life. He's up to light and he's Mm. up to order. Those are three things he's up to when, when God works, that's what he does. And so if we're like, who is God, the worker and how do I image God, the worker in my work? It's about life and light and order, like sun, moon, stars. And really before that is his own like divine presence is like lighting things up. But light, like sun, moon, stars, light. He creates light. That's what his work is. Life, like plants, animals, humans, organic Mm -hmm. life, you know, if God's going to work on something like life just pours out of him, you know? So light, life, order. We see like, okay, Genesis, the first three days are, he forms these categories Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then days four, five, six, he fills them. So he like forms these things and then he fills them. (laughs) <laughs> and wow. that's like kind yeah. he's ordering stuff, you know. Um, he doesn't just create chaotic life, you know, he creates ordered life. And yes. so work is about anything you do in the created world, any interaction you have in the created world that promotes life and light and order is work. Yeah, and so it's like you have lots of vocations in this life. Like you might get paid for one of them, but then you wear a bunch of other hats and you interact in God's created world, like in ways that are not that one vocation. There are a lot of other vacations that you fulfill and all of its work, meaning you can produce life and light and order in all of those vocations. And so I tell people this all the time. I'm like, okay, Monday morning, you answer an email in your job that you get paid for That's work because there's chaos in your inbox and you answered questions <laughs> you gave those people where there was chaos. That's right. Um, when somebody was discouraged, you spoke life into them. You were about life in that moment. And that means you were working 
according to the image of God, the way that you worked in that moment granted life where there was death, right? Um, light, clarity, where there's confusion, you you shed light on things. And anytime you shed light in your workspace, you are imaging God in the way that you work because he's about light. And so, yeah, you can do that in an email on Monday morning. You can do that in a, a meeting with your team when you like encourage them and you speak life over them. But you can also do that on Saturday morning when the work week's over and you're pulling weeds in your yard. That's just as much work as the email you send on Monday for the thing you get paid to do. I mean, literally, if not, like I think about pulling weeds in particular, I'm like, that's like very profound and literal in the sense that you're literally pulling death out, like weeds choke life out. They, that's their job. They choke life mm-hmm. out of the ground. And it's like, you're pulling that out and you are making space for life to flirt, for life to come in mm-hmm. and you're removing death and you're creating order in your yard. It's like, it was chaos <laughs> and weeds and insanity before. Right. And, and now it's curated and pretty, you know what I mean? It's like, that's God creating a garden instead of like a wilderness. And so anyway, all that's like, yeah, you can, that's work. <laughs> like pulling that weed 100% makes room for life and light and order. And so does answering the email. So does filling out a spreadsheet. Like, so does creating a melody. If you're a musician, it's like, you're, you're reaching into what would otherwise be chaos. And you are, cre- you're pulling out a melody, you're pulling out words, you're pulling out lyrics, and you are creating something pleasing to the ear. That is 100% making order out of chaos, Right. And so all of that, that's what I mean by broad understanding. I'm like, you can do this in a million ways in so many different kinds of vocation. And it's really patterned after what God does when he works. Right. Um, And you can image him in a million different ways. There's so many applications. It's really beautiful. So for you as a publisher, when you think about Mm -hmm. light, life, and order, and your specific Mm -hmm. role as a publisher, how would you say you're able to fulfill those three categories? For sure. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's a good question. Oh, man. Well, in an obvious sense, um, we're a Christian publisher. And so we try to promote things that, I mean, we do promote things that have the gospel in it, which is like the the strongest evidence of light. I mean, Jesus, you guys, Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. That's right. Right. The world was like created that way. And then it like unraveled with the fall. And then we we need all three of those categories to, to like recreate the world the way it was meant to be. And so isn't it beautiful of God to send his son who is light, (laughs) who he says, I am the resurrection life. He is life. And he is the logos. He's the word. He is the ordering principle of the world. He's order. Right. And so in a sense, it's like Jesus is those things. And we get to be a publisher that puts him on display. And so I I love promoting materials that get to do that. In another sense, I think we image God. Well, in the work we do as publishers, just because we get to make books. Like that's particularly unique in the world that I live in. Um, like from a 30,000 foot view, I find it fascinating that like publishers oversee the bookmaking process from content development, to yeah. editing, printing to distribution, like God too oversaw a big bookmaking process. Did he not? Wow. <laughs> His spirit inspired the words of the Bible like, and he carried, so like, the spirit carried along his author's his spirit preserved it through the centuries. His spirit applies its saving message to believers and opens their eyes to its teaching as they read. He illuminates it too. In a sense, he's like the writer and the preserver and the distributor of the good book. (laughs) Wow. And he opens the eyes of the reader and it's just, it's wild. He handles the whole process. And so in a sense, in a sense, not fully, obviously, but we reflect, we try to reflect God as we oversee a bookmaking process and his image 
we, we try, you know, our, we say a lot on our team that words create worlds and oh, God is an author that did this. It's like his word exactly created a world. Right. Yeah. And as publishers, we, we try to create a world through words. And, um, I think, I hope that we reflect him well in that way. Obviously we don't do it in the way like the triune God does it and we cannot inspire the way his spirit does, but in a faint sense, we give an impression of what he's like and what he does with words. So I try to do that. Okay. First of all, you said so many things that were so good. Like this, <laughs> this is why we're so excited to have you here today. Um, okay. So when I think of, first of all, words creating worlds is just so real because as a child, I grew up in a space that was not very naturally beautiful to look at, yeah. but I would jump into a book and be in that space. Transported. And so yeah. there's something so real about that. And then the how, because of the people in my life who were great storytellers, they were able to do that with the Bible for me. And that's what brought it alive. Mm -hmm. Those words, you know? So I think that that is just so beautiful. Well, and Missy, um, so, also going back to Genesis, yeah. I mean, what you talked about is yeah. his words created literally the world. He spoke it into existence. So it's all a beautiful picture here. I love it. Right. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, well, I'm switching gears a little bit, but one of the things that we know is true is that there are so many different tools. Like, I know I am like ENF, and I know I'm like a achiever, and I'm like the badger, and I'm like, it's just all these different <laughs> discs, DC, like, there's a million different tools to learn more about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we, I just was, did a job interview, I was interviewing somebody, and my other a team member was like, so what's your Enneagram? And I was like, girl, I don't, why are you asking this girl this? We don't know. I don't know. She's a nine. She's a six. I don't even know what that means. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. anyway, we do use that here on the show because they are helpful. Sure. But how can our listeners begin to broaden their awareness from like a self-awareness mm. um, so that it's not just about my work and my space and my job and my calling, but to have more of a workplace awareness so that when they enter into the space, they understand that you're coming into a space now that's about our work and our IQ. Ooh, that's good. And that's we right. all are. Yes. Oh, man, that's great. So I think what you're getting at is like, individual IQ <laughs> and which like we're in a culture that's really interested in that, like all sorts of personality mm -hmm. tests, the layers of what makes us, us, we're interested mm -hmm. in like family origin, why we are the way we are and how the, our values right. like affected our upbringing, which affects our present, you know, in our marriages and our kids and our friendships. And that's all well and good, but you're talking about like, okay, so personal IQ is like already there. Like we're already interested in that as a culture. But how do you move toward that to like institutional IQ is what I would call that. So, That's um, good. Yes. and it's like, if you're going to, this is what I mean by like anything you do that like interacts with the created world. Like there's also, there's also a knowing of the other side that you have to care about. Right. And you're interacting with, especially if you get like hired in a bigger company, it's like, there's a, there's like a story that goes along with that institution, you know? So how do you get institutional IQ? Um, and as like in workplace awareness, you could call it that too. And I just wonder if we show the same curiosity to our organizations that we do for ourselves. Like, wow. Like the, I, I, there's a, um, I love this book by Gordon Smith. He's the president of a seminary. I can't remember which one, but he talks about it. It's called institutional intelligence. 
And, um, and he, he makes a point. I agree with him that our generation is good at individual intelligence because, and not institutional because we're a little skeptical of institutions. Uh, and I do, I love his book because it helps us see the, the good in institutions. Um, and I know that there's a world of bad that exists too, because it's like institutions have a lot of centers in them. Um, but he says, and I love this quote from him. He said, um, institutions give us an opportunity and a mechanism, a means to invest in something much larger than ourselves and to make a contribution we would never be able to make individually or on our own. Wow. We, we invest in something, a means, a system, an entity that will outlast us. And that's the key, I think, is investment and in, like institutional like work. Um, it requires you in, to invest in something bigger than yourself. And our generation is going to have to decide if that investment is worth it for the long haul. Right. I think it is. Right. Like I want my work to outlast me, mm-hmm. to have a generational legacy effect after I'm gone. And if yes. we work together, we really can create structures that, um, I think in his words, he says, structures that create, uh, incarnate blessing, beauty, meaningfulness, and purpose, not just for believers, but for the good of all. Um, and so institutions, I think at their best, um, they can lose their mission. They can have a bad mission. They can do all sorts of things that are like, not, they can have a bad culture. Like all that's true. Um, but that doesn't mean the idea of an institution is like bad in and of itself. An institution is like a means to an end or a means to a mission and a good institution will be able to get that mission accomplished with all hands on deck. Right. So in terms of how to like develop institutional IQ, if you're working in a place that's like has anything that has like, you know, more than a few people eventually is like going to become that. So developing institutional IQ, I think it's a good start to know yourself, right? Your personal IQ, who you are walking into that space, mm-hmm. knowing your own mm-hmm. backstory, your family of origin, the layers that make you what you are, your, per, you know, pursuing personal growth, all that, removing things inside of you that shouldn't be there that aren't helping you flourish and putting the work in necessary to grow towards health. Personally, you should be doing that. Um, but I also think you should apply all those same things to your institution. Do you know the institution you're working for? Are you equally as interested in its backstory it's family of origin, so to speak. Wow. All the layers that make it what it is, uh, removing the things inside of it that are not helping it flourish and putting the work in necessary for it to grow towards health. Um, you do all that stuff for yourself, right? Are you really bought into its mission? Um, do you know the teams beyond just your team that make it function? Right. Um, so it's not just institutional intelligence is not just interested in like what my job can do for me. Yes. It's also what I can, I can do for my job. Like, what can I do to help this mission last beyond the years that I'm here? And what can I bring to the table to make it better? Um, and I think it's, that's a deeply Christian way of looking at institutional work because it goes beyond just receiving to giving. Like, God, yes. look at all the verbs around mm-hmm. God the Father in the New Testament. Like, and in the New, it, it, it's like get, the word give, gave over and over and over yeah. and over again. God the Father is like this giver. And we're told in the scriptures that like, we're supposed, we're supposed to show that we're children of the father. Like we're like him. So to be self-giving, like he's self-giving and, um, obviously he's not capable of self-exhaustion because he has life within himself. Um, and we are capable of self-exhaustion. So there's a balance there, right? You cannot just give until the point that you're self-exhausting. You need to be filled back up. So we have to walk that line in a way that God doesn't. Right. But I just mean like, are you a person that walks into your space with a posture to bless and to give, because that's like a uniquely Christian way to operate in an institution where most people walk in 
And they're like, who noticed me in the meeting? Who sang my praises? Who didn't let me speak long enough? Where did I not, you know, and it's, you're literally focused on just yourself. Um, instead of being in a posture to bless. Uh, so yeah. I think those, those are my so thoughts on institutional intelligence. Really great. No, it actually reminds yeah. me of this book I read uh, several years ago um, called To Change the World by James Hunter. Have you guys ever read this no. book? Okay. No. He talks about in there um, how if you really want to make a difference in the world, if you want to be a world changer, you know, mm-hmm. we think just like you talked about, very individualistic. I'm going to change the world and I'm going to do it because of these skills I have. But he says, no, if you really want to change the world, you need to embed yourself into some very structured institutions, because right. especially the ones that have high, he calls it like high social capital. Like these mm-hmm. pe- these are institutions that are very well known. They're well established because they already have so much influence. And then when you right. contribute within that, it's really going to bring more flourishing and bring change in oh, the world. So, so great. I think that's really, you would like that book, Ashley. Really <laughs> I good. would, yeah. I want to read it. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> Mental note, yeah. Okay, so we talked a minute ago about how the idea of work is really more um, than just a wage, than making a wage, right? I mean, right. it's it could be anything. There's so much work we do that is non-paid that is still valuable to the kingdom. However, I will say the topic of women's pay is, it's a whole minefield. It's a whole thing. And there mm-hmm. is so much complexity to that. I'm just thinking of like ideas that are in, you know, women's minds. We're, we're settling mm-hmm. for too little. We're not, we don't want to ask for more cat pay because it mm-hmm. seems too pushy. Or maybe we're just totally, you know, have an inaccurate read on our skills. We don't even think we're worth being paid more. And so I'm just wondering in your field or in your, you know, mm-hmm. context, are there complexities that you're seeing with women? How can we better advocate for ourselves and think through just this whole topic yeah. in general? Is this something you're okay. into? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, to there's it being self-giving and being paid appropriately are not like mutually exclusive. So, um, yeah. And so there's a, the, the workers worth their wages, like that's biblical. Right. And so, um, in terms of pay, a lot of factors play into that. I would say like, are you coming in with the same work experience as like your peers? Like maybe there's a peer mm. who gets paid more than you and like that frustrates you, but you've, but maybe they've been there three years in that position and they've gotten like merit-based increases year over year that like their institution gives them, or maybe they got a certain bonus because they contributed like some to something major, a major project that contributed to the company and they're getting rewarded for that. Um, and so you, you want to make sure you're like comparing apples and apples instead of apples and oranges. Another thing to keep in mind is like, what region of the country are you looking at? So like a, a position in New York City or California is going to pay differently than like a small nonprofit in a medium-sized town. Right. So again, just like make sure your comparisons are like, are not apples to oranges. One thing I like to do that I think is helpful here is just uh, the work of doing like comps, like looking into like how much does this person, this kind of position get paid across the country? And then also just like in my region um, at a similar company kind of thing. And so when, and and one thing I like to do too, I think, so that's kind of like the data you're looking for, but emotionally, no matter the situation, I try to make sure like the emotional setting in me is that, and who, whoever I'm talking to about this, like a potential boss or whatever, like the emotional, uh, setting is like, we're on the same team looking at this, like 
problem we need to solve Mm -hmm. as opposed to me and this party being at odds, like me being adversarial to you, whoever you are, you know? And so, um, and I, again, that comes from my theology. It's like our God's for us. I'm going to be for the person, even if they don't quite understand my predicament, like I want to be with them on their side for it, tackling the issue together. Um, and so I, I do this in all sorts of settings, but in this particular setting of, of getting like the pay conversation figured out, I'd say this, um, instead of saying, hello, potential boss, I'm going to pit myself against another person on your team and force you to compare us, which puts the boss or like the the HR team. Sometimes like the boss hiring you doesn't actually have control over how much you get paid. Sometimes the HR department does. And so, um, that's good. So it puts, um, it, it puts whoever is in authority over that, that decision on the defensive. If you like force them to compare you to somebody else on their team, um, immediately like questioning, it, it makes them think that you're questioning if they're fair-minded. Right. And okay. Exactly. So as opposed to that, I, like do the research on what the average rate is for this position across com- different companies that aren't even a part of this person's company. Right. Um, and so if the offer feels too low, you can go in with the data that says, okay, so to me, it looks like other companies on the same scale and in the same region, offer this as their range for a position like this. And I'm really excited about this position. And I feel like our chemistry is great here, but I don't think it's wise for me to take this job below industry standard compensation, given what my skill set is worth in comparable markets right now. Um, Is there a way we can move toward this standard together? Like, and so the assumption, I'm the way that question is raised is assuming you want to move toward the standard in your market that you're aware of the markets around you, that you know what the standard is and that like you're a good person who wants to move towards the standard. Like you don't want to be at odds with your competition. You, you want to be on par, right? And they might say we just can't and that's fine. There might be a million reasons for that. I'll never know. Um, But it at least communicates like, Hey, I want to honor the places that we do feel like we're driving. Usually you wouldn't even be thinking about saying yes, if you didn't feel like there was some natural chemistry with this place of work and then right. you are a good fit for the position. Like there's a lot you can nod to that are like the good in this conversation while saying, can we move forward to this one piece that feels off to me? Um, and the data is not like, well, John over there on your team, I know what he yeah. gets paid. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, now you're like attacking that person's team and <laughs> they love their team and they know their team and they've known their team a lot longer than you. So like, if they're going to go to bat for anybody, it's going to be the people on their team, you know? And I, I would want that for somebody who's like the leader of my team. Right. I would want them to go to bat for me in a conversation. So, um, so it, it basically makes that kind of approach puts you as like a friend of the person making the decision, tackling the problem together. Um, and saying that's, that's, there's, there's truth out there with other people like you. And I'm just asking if we can move toward the standard I'm seeing everywhere else, you know? This is so much, it's practical, but it's wisdom. Like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of good wisdom in what you're saying because often we don't have the words to say. So then when we say what we mean, it sometimes comes out not in the way that was best get us to where we want to be. Thank God you had the courage to say it, but then now it's the way you say it and Mm -hmm. how you approach those conversations. Okay. So while you're giving advice, I have another (laughs) advice question. (laughs) Okay, so often with um, women in the workplace, we can see a couple of, like maybe a lack of contentment Mm -hmm. or patience with the process. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't, I said by women, I 
what I meant by pe- was people, but we're talking to women. Mm-hmm. Um, but for women, because we deal also with comparison in this other level, one of the things I know is that sometimes younger employees can see a seasoned employee and be like, I already want to be there. Like, what does she do better than me? What does she know more than me? I I can do this. I can do her job and mine. Why is she making more than me? Um, And so they, maybe they want the recognition and the pay, but Mm -hmm. or else we see women who are maybe who've jumped out of the workforce, whatever reason, or who are, who switch careers and are now coming in. And now they're not advocating for themselves or they're, um, I guess they feel like I don't have the maturity to even, to even ask for anything, Um, even if that something is not more pay, it's training. Mm -hmm. What would you say, how would you encourage women who basically, who are not able to see the process for where they are and how they get to the point where, yeah, I am asking for more money or Mm -hmm. yeah, I feel like the established person on the team to be advocated for. That's right. Yeah. Path. That's like career path. That's such a big question Um, in lots of environments and the one thing, I mean, obviously there's not like a silver bullet, but I would just say that like, we know this about spiritual maturity. Like we agree with this spiritually. We know that spiritual maturity takes time. Like it doesn't happen mm, overnight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and God, like as the grower that he is, we were talking about Genesis and he like, it blows my mind that like what God does when he first starts the world is plants a garden. Like, I'm like what are, you know, I know. I've thought that yeah. like, they take yeah. so much time. You're like right. I'm just like, this is a, like the fact that that is where creation goes and all of the places that it could have been headed, like tells us a lot. And Jesus, you know, revealing the father to us in the New Testament, he, he says this a lot in his examples, like agriculturally, and we don't live in like an agrar agri- I can't say that word, agrarian society. And so we live in an industrialized society. And so the farms are somewhere over there that like make our stuff and they send it to the grocery store. You know what I mean? Like we don't actually have time unless you have a garden in your backyard. And even if you do, it's probably not at the scale that like people in the Bible would have understood this stuff. Um, that, that like growth just takes so much time. If you like stare at a plant and like desire its growth and you like get obsessive, it feels like it's not growing at all, you know, or like how long it takes an oak tree to develop its rings. Like it's just, it takes so much. Yes. And so I would say like, we believe that in terms of our spiritual growth, um, at least we do on paper, you know, most of us get frustrated. We want to be sanctified like overnight, but if sanctification takes that long, then like, so is a lot of things, you know, a marriage takes a lifetime to get sweet and to grow and a, and your work, it's the same as your work life. It's like your career is going to mature and take time like to grow and to uh, move and to kind of like um, meander through various parts of the path, you know? And I look at Bible characters all the time. I'm like, their path is just like David, (laughs) Talk about a path. Yes. Mm-hmm. I look at David. I look at Paul. Yeah. I look at Jesus yes. in certain points. And there's this like, oh, this calling. And then this big open space of obscurity yeah. where it's Joseph. just like, Joseph, yeah. I think, and Moses, Joseph. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I think I remember like in Acts, it's like, you know, Paul's called. And then we forget that like road to Damascus happens. And then we see Paul, the apostle. And we're like, he's shining. And I think there's 14 years. Right. I want to say for these many years, he was here for this long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, it takes a long, he kind of goes into obscurity for a while. And then he comes on the scene is like this. And you're like, dang, he was just like, and then Jesus, it's like, he has this messianic 
consciousness when he's 12. Like he knows he's in his father's house. He understands who he is. And then we just like don't hear from him until he's 30 something. Right. And we're like obscurity. Like he knows where he's headed and then a total obscurity. And then we, and it doesn't mean that I think like you should go in the shadows and you don't matter. And your voice doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. I'm saying like, God, the, the pasture season, do not spurn the pasture season. And what I mean by that is David, where he is like told what he's going to do. He gets called out from the the fields and it's like, you're going to be king. And then he goes right back into the fields, scooping sheep poo for like how much longer and using his little slingshot to get, to like get the wolves away. (laughs) Where do you think he learned how to use the the slingshot and the big battle with life? It's like, day after day after day after day in the field, you know, he didn't go straight to the palace. And, and even the idea of like, we're going to go from the pit to like some palace, I think is like off. I think that's very American way of looking at work, but like (laughs) I'm saying, you get what I'm saying. Like sometimes there are just extended parts of the journey that require shadow work. They required being in the fields. Like they require going into that, like slice of time and almost every Bible character's life that like, we don't know what happened. It's obscure, you know? So true. And so, yeah, I just think like, and and it's not just like you go away and you don't matter for a while. Then you come back on the scene and all of a sudden you matter. It's like, you're actually being developed. You are. Like God is doing something in you and he cares about the vessel that you are. That's right. Like he is shaping the vessel that you are for the work to work through you. Like he cares if you're clogged up with a bunch of stuff that doesn't make you a very useful vessel to the master, as Paul would say to Timothy, like he's going to scoop it out because he's really committed to making you a good, useful vessel in the kingdom of God. And so even his seasons of pulling you into the shadows to scoop that stuff out is like really meaningful, deep, important soul work. And don't spurn it because it's, it actually proves he's committed to making you a beautiful vessel and he hasn't thrown you away, you know? That's right. It's so interesting. Even when you started this question, it started from the garden and how Jesus, uh, when we were, the very first creation is the garden, but like Mm -hmm. I'm thinking in my head, he really could have made just an apartment complex and put a bunch of people in it. And he really could have just, we could have already had cell phones. Mm -hmm. Like he could have started us at that point and said, boom, go. Like yeah. this all exists. You're here. You but that, just that idea of slowly rotisserie style, let's, mm-hmm. let's slowly get to this point so that there is a history to look back on and right. see how we got here. God's is so not important in a hurry. To him. Yeah. Yes. He's, He's not. not in a hurry. And we have this really adversarial relationship with time. Like we mm-hmm. think time is our enemy and we have all these books about like beating it and conquering it and getting things done in a shorter amount of time. And when we take, when we race, it's like, who gets there fastest? Um, right. Like in literal races, that's like what makes you win. If you get there, <laughs> right, fastest, right. you know, and um, whoever, and you're like trying to shave off time when you're like become a runner, you know, and we have this like siphoning relation. We want to just like quicken everything and we want to like deplete it. And And God has this really like when he creates space and time for us to inhabit, it's this friendly time is our friend. It takes time to it's like it develops us and it grows wisdom and it allows, you know, where Jesus and Mark talks about like the the, first the grass comes up, then the stalk, like then the blade, then the stalk, then that like that takes time for each part of the plant to come up. And the kingdom of God is inconspicuous. Like it 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 like moves across the globe slowly and kind of in the shadow. Like, it's just really interesting. The kind of God, he really isn't like us. Like 
Right. He is, there is none like him. Like we're not like that, <laughs> you know? Yes. And, and anyway, I think if we had a friendly relationship with time, we made it our friend, like time is not my enemy. I don't have to get ahead of it. I'm not in a competition with it. I'm not behind. Like right. he has made time my friend. And as long as this season is what it is, it's doing its work and it's growing me and he's shaping the vessel that I am. And that's good work. You know, and uh, there's a sense in which we are responsible for doing our work in that. That's right. Mm, that's You're good. right. That's really good. You know, because you want to be where Lisa is or at the the pay, but in this season when God is doing His perfect work, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. That's right. You know what I'm you saying? Taking are responsibility you and leaning in and learning right. and, and developing concert with it. Exactly. Yes. Not pushing back. Yeah. I was just reading this morning. I am a huge fan of uh, Paul David Tripp's New Morning Mercies devotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, just this yes. morning, he was talking about how oftentimes we're very we're disappointed in God because success is not coming like we thought it would. Life isn't as successful and happy as we thought. And he says, you know, oftentimes we are on we are not on his agenda page. He's mm-hmm. doing this work in us, this developing in us, and we don't value it. We don't value it enough, mm-hmm. and therefore we think, oh, God's let us down. But no, like trusting his goodness in those times to to say, no, he is bringing about my redemption. I'm actually becoming who he wants me to become in those dark yes. pasture seasons. Like you talked about, yes. it's just so huge to lean into that and rely on his grace in yes. those moments that like, okay, I am, he is taking me somewhere. I'm going somewhere and I know it's good. You know, surely goodness right. and mercy will pursue me all the days of my That's life. Right. And I mean, our savior, I'm like, he didn't have a place to lay his head. He <laughs> right. like, was Thank totally you. misunderstood and rejected. Like you're he, right. And his ministry was not built around like the models of what like a successful ministry looked like back then. You know what I mean? It's like he just challenges our categories and every level. And it doesn't mean I don't think you should um, like be taken care of in this life. Like I think God provides for our needs. I just mean like as your posture towards work and all of life really like is this this is a big show about me. And if I'm not at the top of the mountain, I don't matter. And it's, you know what I mean? It's like, that is just like not a Christian posture towards anything, male or female. Like, you're right. You know, and. But I think it goes back to that individualization or that you were talking about earlier, how we center God on us. That's right. Mm -hmm. How could this happen to me? Why have you done this to me? Why have you allowed this for me? And you're like, because God is like, I'm sorry, I do have this whole plan. Yes. And I, I understand from my perspective, I can only see here. Right here. So I'm not saying asking those questions is wrong in and of itself. No. It's when we never step out and see that there's an entire garden, not just my carrots, not just, that's right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And leaning into him when it's hard, because there's going to be yeah. days where it's hard. And it's okay that you live under the sun. Like in the words of Ecclesiastes, all of us that live under the sun, like we don't live above in the heavenlies where God right. sees the full picture. Like we... It's okay that we feel that limitation and we mm-hmm. struggle to see the big picture and we have to lean into him and say, help me. Like, right. I, I, I want to see the way you see. And even if you don't give me, grant me eyes to see it, because I might not be able, you might just say, no, you can't see it from my perspective and you got to just trust me, you know, yeah. to give us the faith for it. Like I ask that of God all the time in hard seasons. I'm like, give me the faith to trust that you can see, even if I can't like, well, and asking that question. Yeah. <laughs> right. And even just asking him that question is so humble mm-hmm. and he's, he loves humility and he's going to honor right. even the question, even the prayer, mm-hmm. you know, goodness, yeah, girl, this is just too good. We're going to have to have you back on. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Unfortunately we have to wrap up. So Ashley, mm-hmm. as you are just, mm-hmm 
having a heart for women and thinking about mm-hmm. our listeners um, from all walks of life, is there just one nugget, one piece of advice? If, if they didn't hear anything else, you would say they have to hear this. Just the women who want to honor God, what advice would you give them mm-hmm. to honor God through their vocational calling? Yeah. Well, I have to, uh, one's really practical and then one's like a deeper one. So the practical one is this. Write every email like it could be forwarded to your boss, your That's CEO, very good. or your pastor. That's really good. I like that a lot. So I'm like, am I writing this in a way or whatever your form of communication is? Like maybe it's Slack. Like, I don't know, you know, but I'm writing this in a way that like loves my neighbor, honors the request, even if the answer is no. Does it reveal a solid work ethic? Um, and more than just being like forwarded to your boss, like treat every person like they could be your future boss. I have seen environments where like people that were at odds and like, you know, it's like, and that person eventually like five years later became somebody's boss. And it's like, (laughs) wow, dang, I wish I treated you a little bit differently. (laughs) And so it's like, yeah, it's like, you just have no idea the trajectory God has people on. Like you don't know. That's right. Um, Even if they seem less important to you, like treat them with greater honor. Like that's a very Christian way to treat other people, even if they're a pain in your side. So I would just say, yeah. So that's like a very practical piece of advice. You will never, ever regret just as if every email could be forwarded, anything that you write, like as if it could be forwarded to your boss or your, your pastor. Um, and that will just, that helps you love your neighbor as yourself really. But, um, and then the, the deeper one is, is your job. There's a spectrum in the way that we view our job and your job is not your enemy on one side. Um, where you're just like going to war with it every day and you hit, you know what I mean? It's not your enemy. It's also not your identity on the other side. Um, You can like hate it or you can love, 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 love it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love my job, love my job. Right. But in, in the sense, it's not my identity. Like there's more to you than your job. You have all sorts of vocations and all of it matters to him. All of it counts as work. Like it counts. Um, and matters in his kingdom. And so when you, when you make your job, the only thing that matters to you, you have like disordered loves and it will make you crazy. It's like, all you're going to think about is, if you, got, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, and that's coming from my own journey where like where I fit in an org chart, Matt, like it mattered so much to me and it stole all my joy for so mm-hmm. long because it's like, mm-hmm. I just my identity. Um, and I think about like God, the father speaking down to Christ, the son and his baptism, communicating his love. Like this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And this, that came to Jesus before his public ministry, Wow! You know, before he yeah, started so his like, work. When you look at his work, like you have to work from, from that perspective that God, the father, you are beloved in his sight before you go to work, like before you start the calling before, you know, like the order really matters. You have to work from that. Um, instead of working for it, like Mm -hmm. you got to work from his approval instead of for his approval. Like he already loves you. Let that be the well that you drink from as you enter the workplace. Don't find your identity anywhere else. That's right. Well, Ashley, this has just been such an amazing conversation. We are going to have links to how to find you on social and some of the pieces you've written. Some of the books you mentioned, we mentioned in your bio, we'll have all of that in the show notes. What a Fabulous conversation. I know our listeners are going to be so encouraged and edified. Thank you so much for coming on today. Y'all are so welcome. Y'all are some of my favorite people. I appreciate it. 
And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.net for today's show notes. There will be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, we'd be honored for you to partner with us financially. If this podcast or really any of the content Women in Work produces has been a source of inspiration and encouragement to you. Women in Work is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all your donations are fully tax deductible. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss another one, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also love for you to take a minute to rate and review our show so that more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.